Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me is our Chief Science Officer, Dr. Brandon Roberts. Welcome back, man. It's been a minute. It has. Yeah, no, it's good. It's been good. Been busy, you know, as always, uh, but happy to get into some um, new topics today. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a uh, it's never an issue when it's been a minute because it's always because we're super busy, which is why yeah. we start 15 minutes late because we're talking about all the updates and everything we're doing. So um, lots going on, but I'm excited about this one because this is a topic that um, you brought to my attention and I had heard and seen a little bit of content from some people online, some doctors I follow, um, but you were the one that was like, hey, I'm going to do a con ed on this. Um continuing education uh, presentation for the team. This is something that we need to pay attention to as coaches. It's going to get more popular. We're going to get a lot of questions about it. Um, and that is prescription weight loss drugs. So these are, are becoming popular in the space, um, obviously from the medical side of things. And uh, as always, if you have anything, especially if a doctor's prescribing it and it can lose weight, help you lose weight, it's, it's, I mean, it's sexy. It's, it's catchy. It sounds amazing, but we always got to be careful, right? Especially when, you know, like, the easiest analogy for me to say is like the first iPhone had a lot of bugs in it. So like, as we're coming out with these things, we got to be careful because there's probably going to be side effects. There's going to be risks. We want to know the ins and outs of this stuff before we talk about it. And uh, Brandon's done a lot of research. We have a very comprehensive guide and article on the website now, uh, which we will link in the description of this podcast that we are kind of going to summarize in today's episode over the next 30 to 45 minutes, just diving into this topic. But you can go there for links for more explanations on certain drugs and so on and so forth. But um, let's get into it, man. And this is a topic that I think is really important for us to cover. So why don't you start by kind of introducing us to what this, uh, is like, you know, what are weight loss drugs? Why is this emerging just now? And, and what do you kind of expect to see before we kind of describe what they actually do and what their purpose is? Yeah. Yeah. So it has been kind of a hot topic in the past couple months. And the reason for that is because there's a new drug out, um, that's just, kicking the pants off everything in the market. Um, and we'll get to that one later. But weight loss drugs are like, they're not new. They've been around since like the 30s and 40s. Um, and so what we've seen over the past 100 years almost is drugs that focus on different mechanisms, <clears throat> but induce roughly the same amount of weight loss, right? It's generally our goal when we lose weight, clinically health, uh, focused, not like physique focused, just like, Hey, I want to feel good, look good, have good blood profile, things like that is about five to 10%. Now that's, a, that's a good bit, especially if you think about a 200 pound person who's maybe obese or severely overweight and has bad habits, doesn't exercise, you know, has bad or poor genetics maybe. Um, and all these things compile. And so they also may not have the education or like money to go get a coach or learn themselves. Um, and so when they go to their doctor, their doctor's like, okay, we have to try diet and exercise first. Generally, that's what they say. And then they try and they fail because we know it's hard. Like dieting sucks, A. And then B, training is kind of sucks if you don't like it a lot. Um, and so then doctors say, okay, well, we really need you to lose weight. So to do that, we're going to try a weight loss drug. Um, so that's kind of the impetus behind it, uh, for a lot of the clients we're starting to get and society in general, there's just a trend 
a higher percentage of people who are becoming more overweight, who are becoming obese, oh, sorry, obese, who are having type two diabetes and other issues that we we can't necessarily fix with one thing because it's never really one problem, right? Obesity is a disease now, like it's classified as a disease, so we have to treat it like a disease, and that means behavioral modifications, that means um, drugs, that means environment. So. We have to kind of bring all those things together really to treat obesity and prevent obesity. Um, and that just plays a role in our clients because we get all types of clients, right? Do it's crazy to think, like you said, almost a hundred years ago, um, what are some of the earlier drugs? Cause I think when you say like, these have been around forever people. So there's some people that kind of raise an eyebrow and go, holy shit. Like, really? Like I haven't heard of that. And I think even for me, I couldn't tell you a single uh, prescription based legal, like obviously I know of, um, you know, the steroid category, which honestly, I don't even know enough about that. I know clombuterol. That's the only thing I know of. That's like a fat burner, but I'm sure there's other steroids that are like fat burning steroids. Usually you think steroids, you just think get jacked, but, um, essentially like the one that comes to mind is metformin, which is more of like a diabetic supplement, um, in, in insulin blood sugar regulation. Um, but it can help with people's weight loss if they're overweight due to diabetes. Are there other, like, what are the other ones that have been around? Um, and then what makes this new one different? And, and mainly because I think that there's a lot of people who hear weight loss drug and they probably just think really strong fat burner, right? Like you think like ephedrine, but like legal, like it's, it's, it can, I guess that's the other one that I know of, but, um, and I don't know if that's how they actually work. Like, it's not like it's something that is ramping up your metabolism, burning calories necessarily. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah. So most of them, like initially, let's start start back in the 30s, because um, I wanted to talk about this one, because you've probably heard of this one, but it's been so long and it's illegal now that nobody uses it anymore. Um, but the first real like weight loss drug was called uh, DNP or dinitrophenol. Mm. And the way it acted was it uncoupled oxidative phosphorylation. So what that means is that this drug made you burn heat instead of making ATP, right? So if you can't make ATP, you can't kind of do a lot of important things. And ultimately the drug was pulled off the market because it was killing people because they couldn't make energy. Um, now bodybuilders, physique athletes still used it for a long time. And you can actually get it black market in some places still. And of course the dose makes the poison, right? So, you know, depending on how much you're taking it, it's not going to kill you if you take a tiny bit, but there are better options now. Um, so that was back in the thirties. That one kind of went away. Um, and really the FDA started caring a lot about some of these drugs in like the seventies and eighties when they realized, Hey, we need to regulate this, right? Cause when you think, Weight loss drugs, a lot of people think supplements. And and they're right because you have, oh, do you have like hydroxy cut back in the day? Mm -hmm. um, name your fat burner, right? And they they work in similar manners, but the drugs are way more powerful. And sometimes they target different things. So the first one um, that was again popular is called Fentramine. And it acted Kind of like amphetamines. Um, so it's a mimetic for that. 
it was not quite as addictive, but got a bad rap for being addictive. So what doctors would do is they would prescribe it in like four week increments. And the first study even was like four weeks on, four weeks off, four weeks on compared to just like constant drug. And so this was back in the sixties. Um, what the clinical trials would show is roughly about 10% weight loss, which if you remember from earlier is like what we want. That's good. And that's over half a year to a year, somewhere in that range. Now, you and I both know that, what are we, like 180-ish, 175? Yeah. So if I wanted to lose 18 pounds, I could do it way faster than half a year or a year. Yeah. Um, so we got to kind of keep that in mind, too. Um, so that one was called Adapex, the brand name Adapex. And it is, it's still around, but it's often combined with other things. Um, so that was the first kind of two big ones. And I think we put those in the blog so you can kind of like see some of those. Um, but that worked by regulating appetite. So you're not increasing energy expenditure at all. You're just regulating appetite and it's making you not anorexic, but not as hungry. Right. So it's not a, uh, like a thermogenic component that it's causing this. Yeah. And the way it was, um, related to kind of the amphetamine effect was it increased the release of norepinephrine and dopamine. Uh, so it was similar, but the thing it missed was the euphoria. So like the high, like the feeling of high. And that was what it would, they pulled, they didn't, they pulled that part out of the drug. So people wouldn't get truly addicted. They were just helping to lose weight cause they weren't hungry. Um, so that was kind of the first one. Uh, and again, it's, it's around, but probably not the best bet anymore. The next one, you may have heard of this one, is called Orlistat. And so that was in, I want to say the 60s, 70s, no, wait, where are we going? I got my chart right here. No, yeah, the late 90s. And it go, went by the brand name Ally. And it was a drug that blocked fat absorption. And it was the drug best known for like, you have like, di not diarrhea, but like, when you have to go, you have to go like urgency mm -hmm. and people were having pro problems like holding their stuff in. Um, cause they weren't absorbing it worked by just anything, it, What they weren't absorbing anything. So it's just like, running. yeah, okay. yeah, gotcha. Exactly. Um, and, and it too worked pretty well. Like the, the longer term studies, you get about 10% weight loss. Um, the side effects were unpleasant, but like, that, that's not terrible. Like if you just have a little like urgency every now and then, um, one of the, the problems that's fixable was that people weren't getting as many nutrients, right? So we have our mm -hmm. vitamins and minerals that are fat soluble. So if you reduce your fat or if you're on a low fat diet, you need some fat, that could be a problem. Mm -hmm. In the nineties, um, it was mostly high fat. Right, it was like keto Atkins, and then keto came back around more recently. But um, there were some drawbacks. Uh, but that was a pill. So the, the first two or three that we we're talking about were pills. So they're super easy to take. Um, but had you heard of Orlistat or um, Ally at all? When you said Ally, it, it did ring a bell. It, it sounds very familiar, and I do remember. Um, it, it's it's come back to. I, I remember discussing it in in college. I think we did like some old like reviews on just like old like diet trends and things that were in the past like we learned that's when I learned about Atkins because at the time when I was studying it Atkins wasn't really that popular anymore 
but like we vi- revisited that and I remember like oh I remember seeing Atkins bars at the store when I was a kid and so on and so forth yeah so that was kind of the early phase like so you're getting you're getting to like 2000 2001 um and then we kind of looking at my little timeline again um we enter a phase of where they started combining fentramine with other drugs to make it more effective and this was the first time that people started really thinking about polypharmacy or or uh, they call it anti-obesity medications but combining multiple things right because when you look at the side effects a lot of them are for every drug pretty much every drug is like nausea vomiting headaches dizziness right mm-hmm. literally every drug has those side effects yeah. the the higher dose you go the more they occur so if you can take phenamine and you can say hey we can have the dose and now we can pull in something that acts to a different mechanism well now you can lose more weight or maybe it works better for more people. And that's basically what happened. They they rarely see more than 10% weight loss because when the drug companies get to that, they're like, cool, check. I can put it on the market. Um, so that was the next kind of set of drugs. Um, the brand name for that one is Hysema, I think. It's like QY. It's, it's an odd one. Um, but that was when we had a lot of obesity researchers really digging in, right? They're like, oh, wow, no, this is cool. This is, I can run trials. I can work with drug companies. I can, you know, keep them at a distance, but then run their studies for them and A, get famous, mm-hmm. but B, get paid well. Yeah. So it was, it was, it, and that's the phase we're in. I'd say we're in a phase where new drug comes out, you go to these famous, very, very good researchers. They do your trial for you, independent. You pay them. They give you your data. And then they go, oh, look, independent data that shows 15% weight loss. And they go to the FDA and they're like, hey, we had these people look at it. It's good to go. So um, the newest drug, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a drug here for a second because um, they act through similar mechanisms, is called terzepatide. And I was listening to another podcast on terzepatide and it was presented I think two years ago at obesity week, which is a conference week on obesity. And like when they presented the the preliminary data from this trial, like the crowd was in an uproar because it was like 25% weight loss or something ridiculous over like a year. Um, So the most recent class of drugs are, called GLP-1, so glucagon-like peptide-1 receptors. So they target that receptor and they're agonists. So they turn it on. Mm. Yep. So now that's a that's kind of a gut peptide. And when you turn it on or your body turns it on without the drug, you feel more full. So that's good. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm full. I'm good to go. Uh, and it slows gastric empty, emptying, so it slows how how food digests kind of through your stomach, and that that's part of the effect. Um, the other effect is in your brain, and they actually haven't really figured it out yet. Like they know some pathways; it's in the arcuate nucleus, so it's in part of your brain that's important, um, and that controls appetite, obviously. But like the exact mechanism, besides being a GLP one receptor agonist 
isn't really well known or well mapped, we'll say. So the original GLP-1 drug came out um, almost 10 years ago. So it's like 2014, 2013. And that one was called liraglutide. All of these are really hard to say. Yeah. It's stupid, stupid weird. <laughs> um, anyway, so it uh, targets pretty much every organ, but the brain mostly. Um, muscle, it'll increase insulin sensitivity, which is great. Uh, gluconeogenesis goes down in the liver. The pancreas gets better at insulin secretion and synthesis. So it gets your insulin sensitivity goes up, which is good. And a lot of these drugs started as type two diabetes drugs. And then they would say, like you just mentioned, oh, this drug causes weight loss. Like what happens if we turn up the volume, turn up the dose and pretty much the newer drugs, the more you take the more weight loss you see. Mm. Now, going back to what I said earlier about like, we can turn the volume up, but then we get side effects. These new drugs seem to be not as bad as some of the older ones, I'd say, but we'll see. Like they're they're only a couple years old max. So yeah, I'll, I'll pause there and, and see if you have any any questions or if I'm explaining the story the right way. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're going through the timeline well and, and kind of explaining what these drugs do because I think it's actually interesting to hear because the way I look at it too is you see these researchers over time almost uh, attacking each avenue right they make a drug that does that blocks fat absorption okay let's see how this does and then it's like oh shit we didn't think about that stuff you know pun intended there um literally shit and then some time passes research happens and then it's like okay let's try this and maybe it's a thermogenic and now it's like let's ramp this part up and then oh well there might be side effects there and whatever it may be okay let's try appetite suppressant which is always one of the things but ultimately all of this kind of i mean especially the appetite suppressant one boils down to still a calorie deficit right so um i always have and i'm not just saying this for those listening because my career is helping people lose weight but also because I am somebody who I did lose weight and I did it the old fashioned way and I built a business the old fashioned way and I've done everything that way and I didn't take handouts. So to me, I'm always like in favor of you just got to do the work. And I think some of these things kind of there's just uh, I mean, one side of me and I'm not going to go on this tangent because I would say this for a separate podcast, but there's so many benefits to going through a weight loss journey by exercising and eating the right way that have nothing to do with weight loss. I'm talking your confidence, your energy, general health, like cardiovascular health, things that some are somewhat are tied to weight loss, but also the mental discipline, the willpower, the grit, the the positivity, like there's things that are are going to happen because of the hard work, not so much because of the weight loss per se, but the journey to the weight loss. And I think you skip that. It's why I don't agree with giving the losing team a trophy. I don't care how old you are. Like it's it doesn't teach them, you know, and, and I have a four-year-old daughter and I've had that conversation when she lost her soccer game and she didn't get a trophy. And she also didn't win the one award to the kid on the team who displayed some kind of blank. I don't know what it was that day. Like, um, they would give an award for like, uh, hard work or teamwork or the kid that like was the most empathetic or whatever. It was cool, but she didn't get it. And so like I had explained to her, like, you know, you lose, you don't, I mean, that's just what happens. But her attitude was next time I'm going to try harder because I want it. And I was like, exactly. That's why we have trophies in first place. So it's very similar. Like to me, the weight loss journey, it, it requires hard work and there's a lot that pays off. So I'm like very in favor of that. But 
I also think that there is, there's aspects of this that worry me um, because I think that there, it could present obviously risks and potential downsides, um, future weight loss and, and being reliant on anything like this is never a good thing. Um, so we can kind of get into those next. I think that's really important, but to kind of recap and then dive into that, essentially what we're looking at here is they've gone through multiple sequences of weight loss drugs over the years. Um, they've tried different things. Obviously nothing has stuck because there's the, the risks outweigh the rewards. Essentially this new one is a, uh, an extremely effective appetite suppressant essentially, which basically makes it really easy to get into a calorie deficit. So for somebody who is obese, maybe they're, um, I, I would say somebody who's obese and is not in a healthy enough position to exercise regularly and doesn't have the means to have a nutrition coach, but their insurance might pay for this. It could be a route that that person could go, let's say. Um, but that's a lot of caveats. You know, I think there's a lot of people listening that don't fall in that category. So I guess now, um, if that's correct, and this is just basically an extreme appetite suppressant, now you can kind of go into the potential risks and then we can kind of carry into some of the other aspects of like, you know, who is this for? And then um, I have some, some follow-up questions that'll, that'll carry on after that. So maybe we'll start there with just like the potential risks that you see happening with this. Yeah. So the, the risks are, there are symptoms. So like I mentioned earlier, stomach pain, nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain, um, headache, sleep issues, some of the some of the early drugs, not the recent one, but some of the early ones would cause insomnia, which has its own problems, right? Um, and I think, you know, to to bounce off of your idea, there's a there's a risk of dependence. And um, you know, I've, I was like overweight as a college kid and like had to work hard at it. And I think you make some really good points, um, about just kind of finding yourself through weight loss and that's okay. Like not everybody can do it. Um, the, we can also help, help with that. That's what we do. Right. Um, the other risk is these drugs don't work the same for everyone and they don't work for everyone. That's another reason there's so many. Right. So just like you have drugs that you take for birth control, for example, like they affect people differently. They, they work, but they affect people differently. And so you could be a person who like really has a problem with that um, and go searching through three or four drugs before you find one that you like or go a different route completely. So there, that's, that's what I think most people forget is they think it's a switch and they can be like, bam, on good, good for life. No, yeah. there's, there's some hard work in there. So, one question I would have based on that too is they, they might not know this or they just didn't uh, try to extract this from any of the research that they did, but how much of it would you say is actually related to the calorie deficit? So when you say things like, I would assume, you know, if insomnia or anxiety or anything like that, that is similar to some of the, uh, um, I always get weirded out when I say amphetamine because that's a drug, but like like the amphetamine based drugs because they are a stimulant right and that can cause just like somebody is, is very sensitive to caffeine they drink too much caffeine they're jittery anxious um but when we think of like they can cause sleep issues it's like well so kind of calorie deficit if you know you're not used to it what about um the the stomach abdominal pain things like that well if you're in extreme deficit and you don't know what it's like to feel that hunger or not having enough food 
you know, that can cause stomach discomfort. It's just like if somebody's never been to the gym and they're like, oh, like my arm really hurts when I do those. And we're like, no, your bicep's contracting. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like we're working it. Now, if you're like, I have a deep pain in my elbow, we're like, oh, you're probably not doing those curls right. So my question really uh, is, do they know if any of those are related to the fact that they're seeing this? Because I got to imagine they take this drug, appetite goes down. They're probably seeing an extreme calorie deficit when taking it. Are any of the symptoms potentially related to that versus the drug itself? Or are they pretty definitively like, no, the drug, you take it, it does this. They immediately get this this uh, negative feedback loop if they are one of these categorized individuals who has this symptom. Yeah. And one of the things I think I should have pointed out earlier is the gold standard for testing like any weight loss drug. So anyone probably in the past 20 years and going forward forever is behavioral modifications. So these can vary in terms of, are you in a 500 calorie deficit? Are you exercising three days a week or five? Do you have a dietitian over you? So it ranges, but because doctors won't prescribe it without first going through those processes, pretty much the FDA is like, you must have a behavioral modification, mm -hmm. right? And, and drug companies want, like we're trying to do now work with people who change lifestyle habits because you mentioned there are a ton of benefits to eating right and exercising so this is just kind of like a tool um but one of the nice things about the studies is they do a placebo control right so you can directly compare some of the symptoms that i mentioned um against the placebo and yes they are there you, you like that's a good point they are like one to three percent but then when you look at the drug it's like seven to 15 percent right yeah now you might not know this because this might be taking it too far are those calorie controlled and the only reason i ask that is because like okay i take this drug and it actually works and i have this 25 percent drop in uh, my, uh, calorie intake because it's caused me to not be hungry and it's deficit placebo it's a placebo effect, but maybe it's only 10 to 15% of a deficit because they think they're less hungry, but it's not actually physiologically changing anything. It's just the psychology, which we do know has a massive effect and actually can't equal out because there's been plenty of placebo studies on that. Um, did they equate for calories? Do you know? And not that that completely rules it out, but I'm just curious. Yeah. So most of them, um, they, they don't control it like, like we would like for a client or even mm -hmm. like an athlete or something. It's like, more of a behavioral, let's say like a gentle push, mm. like, Hey, why don't you start eating more vegetables? Or here's a presentation on nutrition or, right. you know, there are varying different things, but if you compare, um, especially these newer weight loss drugs in a calorie match scenario, um, I don't think you would see differences as long as people can adhere to it. Right. The diet's, or sorry, the drug's going to make it easier because it kills your appetite. Easy, right? The, the number one thing that sucks about dieting is appetite, hangry, right? Low, bad workouts, meh. Um, so I think in your comparison, it's like it, it doesn't matter if you can get there, right? And, the, and I think the drugs are more so for people who just, they don't know how or they, they, they can't or, you know, maybe they're non-responders, we'll call it, to like, extreme diets because we've we've seen that in a couple of our clients where it's like hey i've pulled out everything yeah and either they're just lying to me 
or they're never going to lose weight. And then, you know, we'll, we'll go through their bloods and it'll say, no, they're, they're very healthy. Like their thyroids are fine. Everything's fine. And it's like, no, this is just one of those people where I don't know, like, how do you, and that could be where we say, Hey, you're obese, you qualify. <clears throat> Maybe we work with your doctor and do something like that. So right. again, I think you, I think you make a good point with a caloric comparison there. Cause that's the whole point is to force you to eat less. So let me ask you this. Um, I, I, I don't think we need to go too in depth with who is this for necessarily, because I do think that we've kind of alluded to it, right? Number one, it's only for you if your doctor prescribes it. Number two, most likely because um, your insurance will will cover it, which we can touch on just briefly because you can just throw out some numbers. I mean, it, it's I'm assuming it's pretty expensive unless your insurance covers it right. And maybe not that many insurances even cover it right now because it's not a very popular thing. It's not as common as something like birth control, for example. Yeah, and so the newest one... Um which is probably going to get approved for obesity soon, terzepatide, is like twelve to $1,500 a month. Um, wow. Theraglutide was $1,000 a month. Some of the older ones are cheaper, but you're still talking like 500 bucks a month. Um, so out of pocket or with insurance, they're still expensive. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the, the downside, or maybe not the downside, the good side, we'll call it the good side, is like you and I can't go to our doctors and be like, hey, doc, let me get some uh, weight loss drugs, right? They're going to like laugh at us and be yeah. like, nah, you're yeah. fine. Go go diet. You'll be okay. Um, so that's the barrier is you have to meet, you have to be over BMI of 30, which BMI is not perfect, but for the general population, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Or you have to be BMI of 27 plus like diabetes or some kind of cardiovascular, some some disease that's affecting your health. And so if you meet those criteria, I mean, generally you're not in great health because if you look at most people who eat well, you know, and exercise, they're not really over a BMI of 30. Like it happens, but most of the time they're not. Yeah. So what about like, I, it's, it's a funny, I actually had a client ask me this question and I answered it today in a loom video this morning. And it was kind of like, the way I worded it was like, I don't know if that's actually a clinically proven diagnosis. And she asked if uh, she could be weight loss resistant. Now, for some context in this person, um, she does have Hashimoto. So she has autoimmune related thyroid dysfunction in um, hypothyroidism. So she's dealt with tons of different things. She's gotten some good recommendations, some bogus recommendations from different people who have credentials that you think you can trust, so on and so forth. Some of which I squashed and provided research to say, hey, that's actually not evidence-based. We don't need to worry about that. Um, some of which I was like, yeah, you, some of that is applicable depending on the individual, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she's been extremely successful. So I think she was having a hard week because she had like some stollage, but like I showed, I was like displaying her progress because I'm like, you are absolutely crushing it. And the way I explained it to her is like, hey, you have a I hate to use the word disorder, but let's say something that would cause um, more of like a, a a metabolic slowdown, let's say, like for, for lack of better terms. But like your metabolism and your maintenance intake probably isn't as it should be because of this. You might have some food intolerances because of this. You might have some struggles with weight loss because of this. To say that you are weight loss resistance, I think like it implies you cannot lose weight which you are, and it implies that there's going to be a, uh, a plateau that is impossible to break through because you are diagnosed as weight loss resistant, and I don't think that's applicable. And so what I told her, I was like, I don't, 
you can have resistance to weight loss because your body fights us more than the normal person. We just kind of have to play more cards, be patient, maybe get into a bigger deficit and uh, be careful with how long we stay there because you have this thyroid concern. Um, but I bring this up because I think that's where people would re rely on this in a wrongful situation. Like maybe they are technically classified obese, but they're like, oh, I'm weight loss resistant. And it's like, are you or you just have not been guided and educated in the right way and built some discipline to do the right things for a long time? Because let's be real. I mean, if you're going to do a, a legit exercise and nutrition plan that is going to lead to successful, sustainable weight loss, there's going to be some some days you don't want to do it and you're not motivated. But it requires discipline. It requires accountability. It requires time. Um, but that doesn't mean you're weight loss resistant. It means you haven't been set up in the right position. So, um, But I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. Is there anything medically defined as weight loss resistant where somebody literally cannot lose weight or is it more or less like you're going to get to a point where you have to bring your calories pretty damn low because of some metabolic or hormonal disorder and it's going to be very very difficult damn near impossible from a practical perspective to consistently stay in a deficit that low with your lifestyle and that makes it almost like not worth it subconsciously so they don't do it or are they literally resistant because i can't see that being Reality. Yeah. So if we think a little bit, um, and I, I think you could, with all of our tools, like drugs, lifestyle modifications, um, everything in our tool belt, um, unless they have some severe underlying disease that they would know about, like Hashimoto's is like, people can go undiagnosed with that for a while. And it's like, yeah, your thyroid levels are a little low. It's going to be really hard, like you said. Um, but you can, you can lose weight. Um, it, it might suck. Um, I don't think I've seen anyone or any case case studies, cause it would have to be like a case study where it's just like this person's tried everything and now they can't lose weight. Right. Like, I don't think that exists, but I think you make a good point with, Hey, we may have to do lots of different stuff before we figured it out. Like I personally respond really well to high exercise, like and that's just how I respond. Some clients are like massive deficits to get where they want. Um, I think you made a really good point, and that's sustaining, right? Because these drugs are not meant to be taken forever. In fact, if you look at all the trials, like maybe two years, like the longest ones go out for two years. A lot of them will go for a year, then they'll break, and they'll do follow-up studies to see if they come back up. And they usually do. And that's the scary part of, you know, you could not learn this whole time, potentially, right? If you're doing all the wrong things, and you're just going to take this drug, you're going to lose your 20% of body weight. So you're 40 pounds or 30 pounds, like great, awesome health improves. But you can't take the drug forever because your doctor eventually be like, well, you're normal now. You don't need the drug. Like get off of it. Um, or insurance company will be like, hey, we're not going to pay for that anymore because you're now a BMI of 24 and that's normal. So mm -hmm. yeah, right. So I think that's where the sustainment practice is really important because there's something in obesity research called a J-curve. And I talk about this all the time where you lose weight and then you gain it right back. And it looks like a J. Um, and it is classic in pretty much any diet, any intervention, doesn't matter. Most people are going to lose it, lose weight, and then gain it back. Um, and that's because of our environment. That's because of our habits. That's because of a lot of different things. Um, so I think that's probably the most important thing to point out with weight loss drugs is, hey, yes, you're 
probably not weight loss resistant, right? Um, but you need to be careful because you don't want to do a whole bunch of work and then gain that weight right back over the next year, potentially. Well, and like, I want to be careful saying this too, because I don't want anybody to take me literally, but anybody who would say I'm weight loss resistant, I would say just drink water for five days straight, no food, no calories, nothing. Don't train, but just go about your day, do your normal work, walking, just drink water. I don't know if there's anybody who would literally, unless I'm wrong, you can correct me, but I don't think like that would be like, well, if you're weight loss resistant, you can't starve. Like you're invincible. Like I, I just don't, I don't know. Like at some point your body will start getting rid of stuff. Now, maybe you have a, uh, some kind of issue going on where maybe your body equally deteriorates muscle. Obviously that's not a good thing. So like eat, don't starve yourself for five days straight with just water. But I'm just saying like, I don't think it's, um, one, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to sustain that, but that just contributes to my point in saying like, you're not weight loss resistant. It just might be that you're in a, a shitty situation that requires some stuff that you might not be willing to do or practically able to do based on the fact that you're also a mother and you are working and you, you know what I mean? You have a life and you like to have a glass of wine every now and then and things you should be able to do and still lose weight, but maybe in the 1% rare circumstances, it's extremely difficult to do that, you know? Um, and even with this client I was referring to, we still have flexibility in there. So it's not like she's doing nothing and following a crazy strict meal plan. It's just, yeah, we had to grind at the deficit a little bit. We did add cardio to your, to your, um, you know, what you said there too. And which is another whole entire, which would actually be a really good podcast to talk about because I think a lot of people will like put out there is cardio is the worst way to burn calories and lose weight, just deficit. And I do think there is some individual variances because I've seen people that are that way. I've been that way too, where, I was like, you know what? I'm going to play around with it and actually do a good amount of cardio and keep my calories up and see how it goes. And I actually respond really well to it and I can keep my calories high. Granted, I live in a gym, so it's easy for me to go walk out there and do it compared to normal people. So going back to adherence and sustainability. Um, but I think there's so many individual variances from people. You also can't say that cardio is a horrible way to lose weight or cardio doesn't work as well as diet. Because it's like, well, depends on the the adaptive response to people. Everybody's different, you know? Yeah. And so in the literature, it kind of shows if you, if you don't have a coach, if you just like most people who try to lose weight with a little bit of guidance, um, the most you'll really lose with exercise is like two to 3% of your body weight. If you change nothing and just exercise more, yeah. right. Which for some people that might be enough, that might be the five pounds I need. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think you make a good point. The other thing that I caught and I hadn't mentioned yet is body composition right? We care a lot about that. Yeah. Uh, cause we want to lose fat and we want to save muscle or gain muscle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with some of the weight loss drugs, some, sometimes what you'll see is like, yes, you lost 15% of weight or your body weight, but 5% of that was lean mass. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's not ideal, yeah. like in health or life or physique or anything like these people don't want to lose the muscle that they had from probably carrying around extra fat, but also whatever else they were doing. Um, so that's where some extra coaching or lifestyle modifications really help of, hey, exercise, resistance train, even if you just do it twice a week, like that's pretty standard. You can save some lean mass and then have your drug or your coach or whatever you have kind of prevent that body, I won't call it decomposition, but um, we'll just say it, sustain your body, your lean mass. Yeah. 
hundred percent. And, and I, I realized that I kind of went on a tangent and pulled us away from the actual potential risks. So we can kind of swerve back to that and just kind of list those out briefly as well. But, um, kind of like encompassing what you did say, cause you kind of alluded to the, the, I'm assuming what the main one is, um, which is sustainability in that J curve, right? So, uh, is the only risk or just the biggest risk, I guess, the fact that most likely when you stop taking this drug, it's obviously not going to work anymore. Therefore you're probably going to continue, um, or you're, you're going to go back to like, if, if it suppresses your appetite a ton, and, but then you stop taking it, you don't have that drug that's suppressing your appetite. Therefore you go back to your old eating habits and they're in, you eat based on your normal hunger cues. And now you gain the weight back versus something like ibuprofen that you take when you have a headache. And when your headache goes away, you don't have to keep taking it because you took it because you had a headache and now the headache's gone. It's, it's a completely different situation, obviously. But, um, I think that's why drugs that you are reliant on for a benefit become a little bit of an issue without um, some kind of cure. So even like, and this, this is like where, uh, I, and I don't advise surgery, but like even with my daughter, she had the kidney issues. So she had to be on an antibiotic every single day for her entire life for the first three and a half years of her life. Because if she didn't take that, she could get a UTI and then a kidney infection and kidney scarring. And we were just waiting until she was big enough as a human being to have the surgery. So when she was three and a half, we were able to have the kidney surgery she needed and fix the issue. And now she doesn't have to take antibiotics. Luckily the surgery went well, everything's fine. But like point being is if she didn't take, she was reliant on that antibiotic. If she didn't take it, her risk of uh, infection goes up and then she could have some serious lifelong issues. So we take it until we can fix the issue. The problem with this is that if you keep taking it and you never actually fix the issue, i.e. build habits, exercise, learn about what a calorie deficit is and so on and so forth, it can be difficult. And, and I would imagine that's probably part of the human's adaptive response, right? Like people complain about, well, you know, metabolic adaptation, right? And well, my maintenance calories are going down. I'm assuming your, your hunger would probably go down with it. And maybe that's not a bad thing if you're obese, you know, your appetite should suppress along with that. And I think there was that meta-analysis that actually showed the most successful people in that like long-term obesity diet study, they were also correlated with the people who had the most sustainable success also had the highest or the prolonged rates of metabolic adaptation, I believe. Like they still had that metabolic adaptation, but it wasn't like a fearful thing from the researcher's perspective. It was like, well, yeah, they're smaller human beings. So that metabolic adaptation never went away, but that's why they're successful. You know, and I think it's a, it's kind of a similar thing here. We almost need that, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, as humans, we're built to adapt to things, right? You go into a hot environment, you adapt to the heat. You go into the cold environment, you adapt to the cold, right? Just physiologically, we do a lot of things. And some people are better at adapting than others, right? And that's a, a role that we have to consider when you talk about metabolic adaptation. Some people, they, they are, what do they call it, thrifty and spendthrift. Yeah. 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 There you go. Um, so their, their metabolism is just adapted differently and and that's okay. They just, that's just part of being a human. Um, and some people, when they diet, like their hunger, if you quantified it would be like double whatever ours is. And you're like, that's crazy. Cause we get hungry, but that's just part of their human nature of like preservation. And right. so you're fighting all of these like physiological things that you can't control that are influencing everything around you. Plus you have your environment. Um, so it can be hard. Yeah. I, but I think you, you've made some, some good points with like, 
you know, we take a drug for a little while, hopefully, if we don't have a severe disease, like obviously if you're type one diabetic, you take insulin forever, but that's different than obesity mm -hmm. or even like a, a antibiotic type situation or headache or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, I completely agree. I think that, uh, in general, it's, it's, it's important for people to learn these different kind of things. And it's, you know, there's the psychological aspect about it too. Cause even with competitors, you think like, well, yeah, they were hungry, but how are they so fucking diligent? And then the second preps over, they get on stage, they're just like, oh, eating everything. It's like, well, they had this psychological discipline, grit and willpower and ability to diet. And so they could like kind of just almost mentally just push away that hunger. But once the goal's done, they don't have that same drive. And they kind of, so there's there's so many different aspects to this that I think are important. Um, but just to make sure again, that we, we list them out. Is that the, is that the biggest risk? I mean, there was obviously some of, it depends on the drug, but this new one, it's like, there's obviously the nausea headache, like the individual differences. And then just the fact that you're, you, there's a really good chance you're going to gain the weight back afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much it. Some of the earlier ones that they took off the market had like heart disease issues, which I'm glad they took them off the market. Um, so you don't, really, you don't really have to worry about the hardcore ones anymore. There's always a chance we find something with like a new, we're, we're looking at GLP-1, right? It's fairly novel um, that you, something down the road we don't know about happens. Yeah, I don't think that's a reason not to do something, but because we do clinical trials or control trials um, and we check for those things. And all of these companies do follow-up studies. That's how we know people gain weight back is because they got to check them two years, mm -hmm. four years, 10 years. Right. And the FDA is like, what you got over there? Let me see your data, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, to kind of conclude this, cause I don't think, you know, one of the, one of the, the bullets in the the blog that we'll link in this show notes of this podcast, um, you know, are weight loss drugs right for everybody alternatives to weight loss drugs. I don't think we need to go in that because we've kind of explained who this is for and who it's not for as well as the, the numerous amount of articles, blogs, videos, everything that we've talked about on all the alternatives to taking weight loss drugs. Um, I think people know, you know, coaching, nutrition, training, all those things. The main question I kind of want to cap off with is, uh, and this isn't in the article, but just more your thoughts. Where do you think this is going to go? Like, what do you predict is going to happen? Like, um, my first thought when, when I started hearing you talk about and kind of reading over your article before we got on the site and everything, because I'm not as familiar of them from the thirties and the sixties and everything, my mind goes like, Oh, this is just the beginning. You know, they're going to start innovating and they're going to get better. And these actually might end up, they might create a solution. But then when I realized, damn, for the last hundred years, they've been trying this and they keep kind of falling short because the body is the human body is just so smart. Do you think that, uh, in our lifetime, this is going to become more advanced and they're going to find that solution? Or do you think it's going to keep kind of having the same issue where it's like, um, there's probably going to be too many side effects or risks for it to be truly effective without maybe some kind of almost like dare I say periodization approach where you're using it sparingly at the right times and in small doses and then cycling off and then building habits along the way. Like you can't have this drug without a nutrition coach kind of thing. Um, I don't know. What do you predict? Yeah. So I think the drugs, like there are multiple, think of your big pharma, right? Mm -hmm. Your Novo Nordisk, your Eli Lilly, um, you're essentially the same thing of as Moderna is, but just for like drugs, other drugs, Johnson and Johnson, like this is their, their money, right? right. So they're never going to stop mm -hmm. trying to make drugs that they can tell doctors to prescribe to make the money. They should get better and better. Like, again, we've gone through iterations, but 
I expect, you know, in the next 25 years, there will probably be at least two to three more drugs that are equivalent to this, because if they're not, they're not going to make it, right? So so now you have this new benchmark of, hey, we're seeing 20% weight loss. You guys used to see 10. So if you're not at 20, you're out. Mm. Um, so I think we'll see some new drugs that'll be super productive. I do worry about people kind of using them improperly, which we know happens with testosterone already. Yeah. Uh, not not everybody. And I also worry about like access to these drugs. They're hard to access. It's like you see the celebrities using them already. And it's that that trickles down. And so some from a social perspective, there are some some problems there that we're gonna have to deal with because body image is a is a thing yeah. that matters. Um so I think there will be new drugs. We will deal with them but there might be some other issues we have to deal with along the way that make us realize that it's maybe not our first option. Yeah. Maybe it's our second option, or maybe we periodize, like you said, like yeah. every 10 years we lose, you know, people lose, gain like a pound a year. So every 10 years you do a six month thing or something. So yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a really good kind of conclusion to it and, and thought process. And just honestly, honestly, in general, like I think that, um, like the whole peptide stuff right now, I actually have somebody coming on the podcast to talk about this stuff um, this week. And uh, as we're recording this, I don't know when it's going to air, but um, it's just, it's super fascinating to me. It's extremely exciting. But I think the difference of my approach towards it is that number one, no matter what it is, whether it's a weight loss drug, whether it's metformin, whether it is TRT, whether it is um, peptides or anything like that, there's like a, there's a process of trying to do it the good old fashioned way first. You know, it's always like, you got to try naturally, you got to try general supplements, general health, general stress management, all these kind of things. Like before you resort to that, then you have to go through the doctor pharmaceutical route where you're actually talking to a professional, not just getting it from your bro or, you know, um, black market kind of status, no matter what we're talking about here. Um, because you just don't know what you're taking if you do it that way. Um, and then you get the expert opinion on dosing, all that stuff. Um, and as more, uh, research comes out on stuff, it's going to become more legit, more official, more, uh, probably less often prescribed, you know, and I think that's along the lines of everything. Um, but I think that's the most important stuff. And even with this peptide stuff, before I even had somebody on the po like agree to do a podcast, I've read so much and did listen to so many podcasts. Um, and I'm not taking any, I just have just been so fascinated with some of the anecdotal stuff. And I'm like excited for more research to come out because there's not really much research on humans, but Go through that stuff before you even think about the stuff. You know, even if you are extremely obese and you do need this drug, do your research. Talk to the right people. Um, listen to more podcasts like this. Get the opinions of professionals. Get the opinions of doctors. Stuff like that uh, before you even consider it. So, um, yeah, man, I think I think we I think we covered it really really well. Do you have any uh, final things you want to throw out before before we close this one out? No, I think we got it all wrapped up. I guess if you have any questions, do reach out through Instagram, email, whatever you got. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys know all of our information is in the description of this podcast, as well as the link to the article that Brandon wrote on this. Um, there's a ton of great information there and uh, you can reach out if you guys need anything at all. Um, as always, guys, we appreciate you listening and we will catch you next time.